last time I had the opportunity to preach, um, you know, the Spirit really made it clear for me early on where, what I needed to preach and what I needed to say. And this week I kept searching and asking the Lord, all right, Lord, where are we? You know, what, 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 what are we doing this week? And honestly, I mean, God was doing things in my heart and I was wrestling and rejoicing in some things that he was just ruminating in my heart, but it wasn't until last night that I even knew what passage we were going to be um, jumping from. But I'm really excited. I really think that God has something. Uh, uh, the Spirit has a word for us tonight. Uh, and I want to start out by, um, by mentioning that according to the, the patreasury.gov, um, the Pennsylvania Treasury is currently seeking the owners of $3.2 billion in unclaimed property. $3.2 billion. Money, property, assets sitting at the Pennsylvania Treasury that people own but don't even realize it. That means that in Pennsylvania, nearly one in 10 residents who are owed something, but they are not aware of it. New Jersey doesn't specify its numbers. You can similarly look up whether you have some fortune owed to you or not. Go to unclaimedproperty.newjersey.gov. Now I want you to remember this. If you weren't aware of that and you discover that you are a millionaire I'll take my cut in hundreds, right? And I, 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 I learned of this reality years ago, and I remember thinking, man, I got to go see if I got something. You know, go, go type your name in. You can all go and search and, and see if there's something out there, a, an unknown relative that passed away, and you're, you're the inheritor. And I think if we're honest, the possibility of unknown, untold riches causes your heart to skip a beat as well. We can all think of a thousand needs extra money could supply. It's the same reason we're drawn to take chances on the lottery. Just one big jackpot could change our lives. But I've got better news, brothers and sisters. We have something even more valuable that I'm afraid you're not aware of. In fact, if I were to make a mountain of all silver, gold, and riches that this world has to offer, what I want to tell you about exceeds the value of even those things. Do you want to know what that is? Are you ready for it? Is your heart ready for it? I'm going to tell it to you. You have a high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. You have a high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I know that that doesn't sound as exciting as the possibility of millions of dollars coming your way that you didn't know were owed to you. 
But we're going to spend some time mining this truth today. And I think that by the time we get to the end, we'll realize that the treasure we have in Jesus as our high priest exceeds anything this world has to offer. So if you have your Bibles, I don't know if it's on a slide or not, but Hebrews 4, verse 14, just a couple verses. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, the reality is that there isn't a cultural parallel that we can easily compare what a high priest is to, right? I, I think... You know, if you're in addiction ministry or in the addiction world, you have a sponsor. You know, somebody who is looking out for you. Or you have an advocate. Somebody who is standing up for you and, and helping you voice things that you need to say. But I think that we do have to start here first if we're going to understand the, the significance and the power of the truth that we have a high priest by asking and answering this question. What is a high priest. And if you roll over to chapter 5, the first thing we see, and just, just so you know, we're, we're going to be mining here a little bit, right? If you want the gold and, and the diamonds of Scripture, sometimes you got to dig a little bit. And, and maybe some of the material you're going through doesn't get you excited, it doesn't capture your attention, but if you get... If you bear through it a little bit, you'll see the significance of it, all right? So the first thing is, a high priest is a man chosen to deal with matters between God and his people to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And this is, we see this in chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay, so step one, what is a high priest? A high priest is a man chosen to deal with matters between God and his people. He offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. But there's a couple built-in problems with this system. He's in... in in this passage specifically, he's referencing the Old Testament um, clan of, of high priests in Israel. But there's a couple built-in problems with the first priesthood. The priest also has sins that must be atoned for. And because of these sins, he will also die. Hebrews 5.3 references this. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins 
as well as for the people. In Hebrews 7, 23, now many, as in there's a bunch of people who have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. In other words, because of the brevity of a human life, there is need for another person to be called up and to be a priest and stand between God and his people. It's inherently a limited system because humans are limited. But that begs the question, our second question. We know what a high priest is, but why do we need a high priest? And that is specifically because mankind has been cursed by God to death. Cast from the garden because he couldn't allow sin in his presence. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, is called into the presence of God, and he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies, he is undone because of his sin in the presence of God. God cannot allow sin into his presence. And so the angels who serve God in the holiest of holies fly to him, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the the actual altar of God, and he touched it to Isaiah's mouth. And that angel said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. There is a problem, family. There is a reason that we are unable to be in God's presence, and that is because you and I are marked by sin. We were born into it through Adam and Eve. And it's not a problem that you or I are able to overcome. And as a result, God required a death that was supplied through the priest by the killing of an animal in the place of a sinner. A Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. But this system, like I said, was was flawed. It had built-in limitations. And part of that was because God, when he put the system in place, knew ahead of time that there was one coming, right? One coming who could replace the system. Jesus was a different kind of priest, and he brings different kind of benefits. Unlike the Levite priests, Jesus is sinless, right? He came to earth, and lived as a human the life that you and I couldn't live. He lived perfectly. He earned God's favor by the life that he lived. Let me ask you a question. Was there another human on earth since Adam and Eve that that had ever happened to? 
Jesus was the first human since Adam and Eve that were sinless. And unlike the Levite priests, Jesus is eternal because he has lived this life, because he is righteous. God gave him life, eternal life. He raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the throne. And his rule is eternal and unending and unbreakable. And unlike the Levite priests, Jesus offers a better sacrifice. His own spotless life for our Here's the good news. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can enter the presence of God. Because Jesus lived the life that I could not live, died the death that I deserve, was raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven, I can now Enter into the presence of God. In no other time since Adam and Eve had any human walked in the presence of God. Moses did, kind of, but he, God's back was turned to him, right? Because of Jesus no matter how much money is in our bank accounts, because of Jesus, no matter, how, no matter what family I come from, because of Jesus, no matter whose table I've sat at, or even if I've had no table to sit at, because of Jesus, it doesn't matter if I have kids or no kids, married, divorced, or single, mixed or blended family, because of Jesus, it doesn't matter what I've done, I can enter the presence of God. And that changes everything. Amen? If you go back to Genesis and you look at Adam and Eve in the garden before they took of that tree that God had told them not. And as a result, they were kicked from the garden. What was life like for Adam and Eve? For one, there's some things that stand out to us as modern readers who read that, right? They were naked. We all like immediately blush thinking about it, and, and rightfully so. But that's a picture of the innocence that Adam and Eve had. That's a picture of the fact that they didn't know good or evil. They didn't have to decide those things for themselves. They lived in such a relationship with God that they entrusted those things to him. And as a result, they didn't live with shame. They didn't live with guilt. There wasn't drama in their relationship. They knew their marching orders, and they found joy in doing that. We family, brothers, sisters, were meant to be in relationship with God. We were created for it. 
And it's only because Jesus is our high priest that we get to have that relationship. I love the fact that Jesus levels the playing field. Because we're really good at measuring ourselves, right? I've got this much money. I've got this car. You know, I've got this situation. I know that person. We're always trying to show everyone how good we are. But God really sees us for who we are. God really sees us for what we've done. And because of Jesus, we all get a seat at the table that Jesus has prepared for us in the presence of God. Let's go back now and read Hebrews 4 in light of just mining this truth here a little bit. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So if I were to land the plane, so to speak, if I were to take this truth home for us and how we live our lives, I want to suggest that there's a problem, and that is that some of us are still acting like we're orphans. Some of us are still acting like we're not part of God's family, like we haven't been invited through Jesus to sit at the table. Brothers, sisters, come, sit, eat. At the table, God is prepared. Come be in his presence. If you remember, last week, Brian preached on an incredible sermon out of Deuteronomy. And he's, and he, taught from the passage that said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So let's connect some dots here. Family, if you are in relationship with God, it means that you are in relationship with the one who made everything in this world. You are in a relationship with the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You are in a relationship with the one who made all the wealth that exists in this planet. It's his word that holds this all together. And so if you have a relationship with him, you may not have money in your bank account, but when that need arises, you can bank on it that God is going to show up and meet that need. And, and, and Hebrews is inviting us. It's inviting us. Come into my presence. Come boldly. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Some of us keep wanting God-sized answers in our lives, but we're not praying. We're, we're content to consult Dr. Google for who healing or the sage wisdom of Facebook, Twitter, IG, and TikTok. 
but we're not going to the God who made it all. And we wonder why our lives are a mess. The changes we need in our lives are too big for us to muscle. And we need to learn to wait on God to lift those burdens. A few years ago, um, Melissa and I had come to the end of our rope. Financially, we were near bankruptcy. Like, it was a mess. And uh, it was clear to us, to anyone that knew us, we didn't know how to handle money. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> and so we hired a, a financial coach. And the first thing that she did is she got us into the practice of tracking our expenses. It's a very tedious process. And in marriage, it can be a frustrating and, you know, it surfaces all sorts of problems. Why are you spending money on that? Whatever. Um, but it was a process that began to show us and help us see our money. And once we saw where we were spending our money, it was like, dang, like, why, why are we doing that? We, sh we need it to go here instead. And pretty quickly, as we began, as we were doing this process, this slow process of tracking and then budgeting and planning, we began to have clarity. We began to have clarity for ourselves. We began to have clarity as a couple. It began to relieve some burdens. And we saw some big things happen as a result. And one of the things that I learned in that process is that oftentimes if you want to go fast in life, you need to go slow. If you want to see big things change and a new direction in life, it's not going to be because of a, a fervor of action and a bunch of things that you're doing. It's going to be by slowing down. And I think that as a Christian, step one, you can do this at any stage of your life as a Christian. You can be a baby Christian or you are in the Lord for 50 years. But there is one thing that must define your life if you want to see God doing things in you. You must relationship to God is worth more than any amount of money in our bank accounts, any amount of status symbols that we can tack onto that list. If we have God, we have everything. And we'll have it right on time, right when we need it. I would hate for us to miss out on the unclaimed wealth that is ours through Jesus in God. Amen? All right, family, let's pray. Lord, we, we're not good at slowing down. This world, this place, this, this country is not good at slowing down. 
Um, we, we want our profits to um, outstrip our expenses, and, and we don't slow down and take stock, and we don't pray. We don't actually believe that you are who you say you are, and that you're going to give what you say you're going to give. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to see the value that we have in our relationship with you, that that relationship has more meaning, has more value, has more purpose, has more joy than anything that we could replace it with in this world. Lord, I pray that Epiphany Church would be known, yes, for our crazy acts of service, the food bank and and, uh, addiction ministry and many, many other ways that we serve. But I pray, Lord, that we would be known as people who spend time in your presence, that we would be known as people who talk to you, that we would be known for our crazy humility because we recognize that nothing is possible without you, at least nothing that is worth Lord, we pray that you would grow us up by drawing us to our knees. I pray these things in Jesus' name.